Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. This is the Truth to Power show. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Today's guest is Rick Jaro, who is a practicing alternative career counselor, a professor of religion at Vassar College, and author of Creating the Work You Love, In Search of the Sacred, Alchemy of Abundance, and more. His acclaimed seminars, based on years of research and practice with lineage holders in both Eastern and Western traditions, focus on interfacing inner experience with effective action in the world. Richard O is appointed in the um, Department of Religion and the Program in Asian Studies. He receives um, he received a PhD from Columbia University in Indian Religion and Literature. His dissertation, Love, Language, and Silence, Readings of Separation, in the Sanskrit epic, poetic, and Puranic traditions is a discussion of themes of loss in Indian literary and religious traditions. His research interests include religions of South Asia, Hindu traditions and Buddhist traditions, East-West studies, the Eastern romance of Jack Kerouac, Indian languages and literatures, Indian epic and Puranic traditions, the poetics of religious experience and vocation. His book, Tales of the Dying, the Death Narrative of the Bo- Bhagavata Purana was published by Sunni Press in 2003. So we'll be having a discussion about um, identity and um, the big questions in life, the elemental questions in life. And this this conversation is going to start now. Thank you. This is the Truth to Power show. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm here in Poughkeepsie in a very uh, conventional way, conventional knowledge way. I'm here in a place called Poughkeepsie with a person I know to be named Rick Duro, who uh, um, I'd like to allow to introduce himself, and you can say hello and say hi to the audience. Hi, VK. Good hi. to see you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, in the pre-conversations we had, I know you we discussed kind of some preliminary questions, and what invoked in me a memory of in uh, the 1992 vice presidential debate, Admiral Stockdale said, began the debate with, who am I and why am I here? Mm-hmm. And people seem to perceive that as uh, strange or unusual, but I think in this context, I'm going to throw that question out, uh, say, who are you and why are you here? Yes, they need that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, these kind of questions were called by uh, Albert Schweitzer, German humanitarian philosopher, quote, the elemental questions. Yeah. I like it's who am I, why am I here, and consequently what should I do, what is my duty. Exactly, yeah. And um, I, I would say the real answer to all these questions is very simple. I don't know. Yeah, being open, I think. Uh, really um, being open to the unknown. Socrates was open to the unknown. He said, I don't know anything. Even though the Delphic Oracle was bad in between the wisest man and Athens. Yeah. So it's not the I don't know out of ignorance or stick my head in the couch and watch TV for the rest of my life, which is what most of America is doing. Yeah. But having the integrity to face the truth of the unknown instead of hiding behind ideology, uh, history, you know, unfortunately, in our milieu, when you ask the question, who am I, 
most people start thinking identity politics, yeah. gender, uh, belief systems. And it's not that these things are not true, but they're provisionary. They're not ultimate. They're not, they're not consciousness. Yeah, and we keep reducing, we live in a culture that is tr keeps trying to reduce consciousness to identity, belief, and very, very um, minuscule senses of history. Yeah. You know, most of the educational systems they, they teach you as if history began a couple of thousand years ago. And if you, but if you go to the, was it in Gascon in, in France, those caves, you know, the cave drawings are 35,000 years old. Yeah. There, they, they found cave drawings in Africa 90,000 years old. Yeah. So our sense of who we are uh, is often bound up in our conditioning. And our beliefs and um, our hopes and our fears, and these are all these are all provisional. They're not ultimate. Yeah. And the idea that you know there's there's a there are two points of view out there. One says like the Confucian point of view, it says human beings can never know the ultimate. Therefore, just you know, deal with what you've got. So what I would ask is, um, you know, when we ask about action and how to take action or what, what action to take, coming from that stemming of uh, acknowledging the not knowing or acknowledging the limits of what we know, um, what the understanding I have in the conventional narrative is that, you know, people respond to circumstance. They respond to the demands of circumstance. And that how does this ultimate, this glimpse into the ultimate, um, Ultimate, ultimate knowledge uh, inform that conventional response to demands of circumstance. Yeah. I think the key word you brought up, BJ, uh, is response. I would say most people, they don't respond, they react. Donald Trump said this, I'm going to react. Yeah. Uh, we react. And reaction is generally the first knee-jerk impulse of conditioning. Yeah. Whereas, I think mean, truly responding is what opens to creativity, um, new dimensions of awareness. Um, I, I, you made me think of a guy I heard of who was, you know, I don't know, he was, a, he was a, working in a bookstore in, in Paris during the, the Nazi occupation, and he had been doing yoga for years, practicing Tibetan Buddhism. And, uh, nice practice, but nothing in the house. Mm -hmm. And then he was arrested by the SS, yeah. and they beat him silly. And as he was being beaten, his kundalini opened up, and he saw everything. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful about you know circumstances and how you respond to them. Yeah, we spend so much time trying to be in a comfortable box that we don't allow ourselves to be challenged by the very difficult circumstances. Yeah, and I think that what we think, the conventional understanding that I um, perceive is that people see their outer, outside circumstances as um, out of their control or that there's, you know, this happened, that happened to me. And uh, they're reacting to the circumstances based on, from my understanding, what you're saying is that based on those 
embedded impulses, would you say, or what is the... Yeah, what is the, we the, see it either out of their control or under someone else's control. Mm. So I blame the government. Yeah. Or I blame white people, or I blame yeah. whoever I want to blame. Yeah. As opposed to really, you know, responding from, from your depth. To me, Rosa Parks getting up from the back of the bus is that, that kind of response. Yeah. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's so many examples uh, in history, but respond is different than react. And in the Rosa Parks example, uh, the question is whether or not, um, you know, she, whether she's, she was coming from a true place of seeing what the, what the, well, can you, can you elaborate a little bit? Like, yeah, I, yeah. And my feeling, and I wasn't there, yeah. I, I have another example. Yeah. I don't think she was coming from any calculation. Mm. I think that it just, she, she tuned into the moment. Yeah. Uh, another very interesting example is the great singer, Ella Fitzgerald, was in a talent show at the Apollo Theater. She was a young girl, and she was billed as a dancer. Mm. And she got up there, she said, elephant show, and now dance. And she got up in front of everyone, and all of a sudden, she said, no, I'm going to say Now, where does that ability come from? Or how can one tap into that to be in the right place at the right time, to say the right thing at the right time? That, to me, is, is the, what I call alignment. That's what I'm looking for. So one of the conversations I had in the show had to do with uh, history and with the so-called historical events. And uh, the conversation I just had last night with uh, Claire Van Winkle, who's another guest who will be airing later, is that she enunciated for me that um, it's there's no historical, we were discussing historical events versus personal histories. And uh, the idea that, oh, these, these are historical events in the time I have a collective and that these things happen. And she was saying how the unveiling or what is the, Unveiling that my point is just that, or my what I'm trying to get at is that in every moment there's a possibility to open up these powerful energies. That there's there's no that is there a circum like is it can you see or can I explain how or can you expound on how like the opportunities are there in every moment or would well, you see that back to history? Yeah, I like what Henry Ford said. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He said history is bunk. I'd like to say history is bullshit. Yeah. But another way of putting it was Stephen Dettel, as James Joyce's character, says, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awaken. Yeah. So the idea that there is an objective history mm -hmm. is just a myth. Yeah. Whose history? When? Yeah. You know, there are these people who live underground in New York City, the mole people. They have their own history. It goes back 60,000 years. Mm. You go to India, you know, where I go to regularly. Um, most people couldn't care less about Plato or George Washington. Mm. They have a different history. Yeah. So it's not that history is, uh, you know, a bad thing. It's to understand it's provisionary. Yeah. And can we be creative instead of dogmatic? So I think there's definitely a story that uh, is, you know, written in books that we read and that we encounter uh, in a personal way, in a, in a way that informs our uh, narrative about ourselves and tying it back to the who am I or what am I doing here kind of thing, uh, that these elemental questions are informed by the thresholds that we believe that 
the collective has gone through that the collectively that human race if we want to the human humanity has reached certain thresholds where you know our perception of reality we project is radically different from the ones of the caveman or the ones of the story behind uh, uh, Revolutionary War America that America today has a completely completely different perspective let's say and and each person has their own thresholds and their own breakthroughs and that um, what I wanted to clarify was basically that uh, in our own personal trajectories and histories uh, what do you what how do we decide what to do when you reach a point okay. of yeah well that's why um, in the manifestation work that I do yeah. Um, I encourage people to reconnect with their own history in the following way. To ask yourself, who came before you? Who's there who inspired you? Because that's a way of looking into your lineage and kind of figuring out what to do. Yeah. I was just, I just uh, read uh, a week online uh, Bob Dylan's Nobel Prize uh, speech, which he didn't hear, but he said, and one of the things he says is, he, you know, he, he went to a Buddy Holly concert, he was really into Buddy Holly, sitting back in the front row, and at one moment, like, Buddy Holly just looks at him, catches his eye, and he, he feels like a transmission. Yeah. That's, that's the way that, you know, creating the history that's meaningful to you, by asking, who inspired you, who in the world uh, whether it's a year ago or 10,000 years ago, um, has done or articulated or, or vibrated something that really touches me. Yeah. Uh, you look at almost anybody who's ever accomplished or who's broken through the hypnosis, it's because they found something or someone who spoke to them and then they jump off of that. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think, understand that they see. Um, something written or something something someone says or a person's energy and, they, and that kind of breaks through their own barriers and within their perceptions of themselves in the world that they're, that light, if you will, is able to shine through and uh, they're able to perceive something that uh, reveals or unveils uh, a new energy and that this lineage is, is a way to access the deeper energy, would you say, or how, do you, how does that operate? In, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm connected with this stream of life, with this tradition, uh, with, the, with the fighters for freedom, uh, with the creative violinists, with the blues guitars, yeah. with, with the compassionate therapists, you know, whoever really, yeah. whoever I tune in with. And, and that, it validates you, it empowers you, and it gives you a place to work from. Mm. So that, that empowerment or that uh, amplification of that energy and uh, understanding that how how does how do other people play into it? Like I think I think there's one thing to kind of come to this realization and and think and, and then sometimes I think I find that when you talk about or not and anyone and I talk about these things that people are putting that narrative of oh that's the the, the born again or that's the and it's quick to how do you break through yeah, all that's these people? Very, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because very often people who have great insights 
are immediately marginalized, yeah. the way you just described. Mm-hmm. Or we don't want to meet people, we want to put them in a known category. Yeah. Um, the classification of, of books, the classification of information. As a librarian, I know, you know we have a system of classification where the numbers help you navigate the knowledge within it, but uh, it seems to me I'm questioning whether or not classification is helpful or not. In what way is it helpful? I don't know. It, it's, well, it's helpful in the way the scaffold is helpful. Yeah. It gets you there, and, but if you think that's the ground from the floor, you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, the, the other way of looking at that is um, not worrying about what anyone else thinks, but connecting with the people who who resonate with what I'm saying. And an example of someone who kind of practiced it and preached at least to a certain point yeah. was Jack Kerouac, yeah. uh, who his spontaneous prose, he said, look, if you, if you write your gut, uh, it's going to communicate. Uh, because on some level, we've all experienced that. Yeah. Um, you don't know who your audience is. You don't know who your people are until you, you really share your message. Yeah. And the people who, uh, who can hear, it seems like that. I know a couple of touchstones that I've heard, phrases that I've heard, that those who can hear, will, uh, those here will listen, or, and then, um, or those who have ears will listen. Those are listen. Yeah. Ears, let yeah. Hear. Let them hear, yeah. 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 And, and it talks about how, how the word of God you know, fell here fell on the stone, and then it fell on the wood, and then it fell on the fertile ground, some places it was a root. Yeah. Um, so, I see it karmically that there are certain beings who are meant to resonate with your message and who you are, mm-hmm. and you express or live that authentically, it will attract that. Yeah, I know that uh, in the last, uh, I revealed to you that I did a show on um, What is Love show, and in that we talked a little bit about universal compassion, but the gradations of between love and compassion, and uh, one of the things we talked about was the, uh, the idea of the Buddha seed or Buddha nature, and how all living beings, the, the assertion of Buddhism is that all living beings have that potential but, um, and that, that potentially, and then I'm connecting that with another teaching I received where if we choose to have the perception that uh, everyone, all the living beings in the world have already attained enlightenment, I'm the last one to attain enlightenment, that that might be helpful because that's a shift in perspective, that acknowledgement that we don't know what other people are going through, what's going on in their process. So, yeah. On the other hand. Yeah. Question what is love and apprehension? Yeah. The minute you, you answered the fact that you're in mind. Limits. When people talk about enlightenment, they're back in the mind. Yeah. And the great insight, I would argue, is that every spiritual tradition is that who we are is not what we can mind. So again, um, you know, the historical Buddha, or at least the Buddha story, just some guy who left home, yeah. sat under a tree, and said, I'm not moving until I, I, I get something. Yeah. Um, and then what, what 
people around him did and keep doing this. They make a religion out of it, mm. which is another way of not taking responsibility yeah. of your own awakening, you know, enjoying the club. Um, so we have lots of words, lots of organizations, lots of teachings, but, you know, we keep fighting each other and leaving the planet, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. So I liked the Buddha's response when he was uh, challenged by Ma, but the Lord definitely did help him keep you are, mm. to get past it. And his answer was just happening more than time. Yeah. It's not verbal, but it's like affirming, I'm here, I belong here, and I'm taking my stand Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, it seems to me that when we reach, uh, when someone, when Buddha or anyone reaches a place where they're in abstractions, that it seems to get, it's easy to get lost and disconnected from the the, the shared experience that we have in, in this moment in reality. That, um, in my interpretation and my understanding of the, the hand touching Buddha, where he touches the um, the ground, is that he's connecting. To a real place, a specific place in uh, reality, that a specific moment in reality, that uh, that forming that connection with that mental abstraction almost it seems like, you know, or, or beyond. Uh, yeah. Like I was wondering to myself uh, last night whether or not we see the manifestation of the physical universe that we have, like the the, the core. That I don't know how deep I can get this analogy, but. Uh, you know, if we kind of leave the atmosphere and such, if we were to leave the, the atmosphere of what's shared among us, the shared place, the shared reality, um, then we're, that's, that's kind of like beyond the, the beyond you're talking about, or not physically, but in the mental space, that we've left that shared reality and that we have to come back to bring something to that, to that discourse, to that narrative, that we have to bring back something to that in language. Perhaps that that's the mission. If that's the that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely adding. They call it adding to the conversation or furthering the conversation. Yeah, that's what I understand. But I want to get your perspective because you brought up Jack Kerouac, for example. Um, sometimes I find his it's difficult to follow his, his train of thought. That uh, it's difficult to understand. And you know, in the, in the language is difficult to understand. He has a way of kind of. We were talking about stream. Um, so sometimes I think that we get to places where there are blocks or obstructions. And how are those obstructions removed, would you say? The methodology. Perhaps, perhaps the first place to go is to understand that. That's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, people are walking around like marionettes on a string. Yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yeah. Uh, Gurdjieff used to say, uh, you have to realize you're in a prison yeah. before you can get out of it. Um, and then, then um, it's the, the quest of the individual. Mm-hmm. I would be careful with the idea of you go someplace else and then you bring it back to the shared conversation. That's what people like Joseph Campbell said. But another way to look at it is there is no place to go. Mm -hmm. 
There's no, there's no place else. Yeah. There's only here. Yeah. And you can either you can go off on a tangent, which is your mind, yeah. or you can be present. Mm. And the challenge for me is to really be present. Yeah. Uh, at every, you know, at every moment, with every breath, life, death, mm. relationship. Um, if somebody's saying something that bothers you or you don't understand, it's not, it's not <coughs> trying to conceptualize what's he trying to say. Yeah. But just being with that energy, being with uh, that, and, and you'll get what you need to get. Yeah, I think that um, the concept that we're not responding to what is being said, but when we're hearing, or what we're looking yeah, at, yeah, to clarify or continue that, amplify that concept, but um, it feels like we already know what's going to be said, you know, or that we hired have the previous notion of what's going to happen. Maybe that's a, that's the obstruction, perhaps. perhaps. Yeah. Or or just our own schema, schema yeah. is the obstruction. Ah, yeah. So the question that people like Krishnamurti would ask is, how can you ever go beyond or ever see through your own schema? Can a, can a computer override its own program. This is the question of practice. Yeah. Yeah. So the practice of one's life is to, uh, like many people feel I have obligations. I have duties in my job, I have duties in my family, I have duties to my this, and this is what binds us. Uh, How can we shift that perspective um, to rather than saying I'm obligated to, but rather, you know, that, that burden of you know, people are frustrated with their positions, they're frustrated with their um, lot in life. And uh, I understand that the theory is that we should transform these adverse conditions into the path. That's what I have been told and so I've been taught. But uh, the transformation of the, the obligations we have um, into, into the journey, um, how, how would you say it? How would you comment on the question I always ask in that response, yeah. and it's not to be answered simply, just to really feel it inside, is what am I learning? Yeah. What am I learning? Yeah. And just to bear witness to what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernie Glassman, then uh, Peacemakers Society, for years has uh, developed this process where people go sit in meditation. Mm-hmm. At Auschwitz or other concentration camps, and I was reading one of the chronicles. Of this a woman was sitting there, and all of a sudden, she, she just felt like how much suffering the guards must make. Mm-hmm. And instead of like hating them, these are bad people. Can you imagine like the, not the, the amazing self-denial of that paralytic, you know, gas chamber. So it's. It's not how to get out of it, but what am I learning from it? Um, and also, is what is it? Is it a true obligation, or is it something I can create so I don't have to deal with the truth Is it a true obligation, or is it something I created to keep me away from that? The truth of emptiness. Yeah. Yeah, the, the truth of that, um, 
the perception that um, how we're seen in the world, I guess, is uh, like, you know, the, the way, understanding or unveiling the way that there is a way in which people perceive you and that that creates who you are based on the, that, that, that perception of you creates a circumstance that you're responding if to. If you buy into it. Yeah. But if you decide that everybody you need is aggressive, mm. um, yeah, yeah. There was something else that's not coming in right now. Um, so I think in the prison analogy, I'll just pick up on that uh, thread for a moment. Uh, you know, we see in people who have been in prison coming out, or maybe just a narrative, but they come out and they're still holding on to those routines of the prison. They're still holding on to those, uh, those, those um, you know, I, maybe I'm just thinking of Shawshank Redemption, I don't know, but I mean, that's all the information I'm getting from. In, in the Shawshank Redemption, you know, he's still kind of um, internalized the experience of being in prison. Until, you know, remember until, that moment, yeah. a moment yeah. when he's, the last time he's before the parole board, Yeah. and he just says, I don't give a damn. Yeah. And that's when they let him out. Ah, yeah. Because he's no longer buying into the, how they judge him. He knows who he is and where he's gone. Mm. And getting over that prison mentality mm. um, is what William Blake called, you know, the mind-forged manacles I hear. Wherever I go in London, it's like people's minds are in, in these in chains. Mm. So how do you emancipate yourself from mental slavery? Yeah. How about more breathing, less thinking, mm. more touching the earth, less worrying about what the earth is, yeah. less abstraction, and more direct contact with everything and everyone. Mm. I had a friend, a young man, as a young man went to India, and he met Ramesh Balsamadhi, sage, smart guy. And Ramesh said to him, so what are you doing in India? And he said, I'm coming here because and Balsamar said, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, you're here because you're not comfortable with everything you're doing. Think about it. Uh, imagine being comfortable with everything and everyone. Uh, to me, that is freedom. Yeah. That's true, that's true. I'm not, I, I, guess, I guess I have glimmers of it where I see the moments where I can remove judgments and I can experience the, the um, moment in, uh, through the sensory perceptions that I am able to connect to that without judgment, but um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's, it's, a, it's something you have to maintain, I guess, yeah. That might be why um, the Buddha and also Shamanic traditions they always tell you it's important to be deaf. Mm. And you know, most people, when you talk about death, they think that something happened at the end of my life. Mm. But in fact, uh, you're already dead. Because when, you're, when you die, at the moment that you, you finally realize that you have no control of that. Mm. Well, you don't have any control now, you're just imagining that you do. Mm. So that, that surrender or trust in the process of that what we're experiencing here, allows you the fluidity to be a lot more comfortable, particularly with things that are not comfortable. Mm. 
And that doesn't mean you accept injustice. It doesn't mean you, you know, just, oh, you know, faith. No, that's not, that's not it. It means you're really connected to everything and everyone. So that's the question, what inspires me? I think, for me at least, um, the, the Buddhism, Buddhist teaching definitely inspire me, and uh, reading um, specifically like Kuruki Murakami I really like, and I like the, the invocation of the, uh, the dream-like, the, using the dream as a metaphor, using the dream or surreal, mm. uh, the access to uh, the absurd almost, he gets into moments of absurdity where that disconnect between, um, or the discord, or just, you know, like in music they have the, they have the harmony, though, so it's like a little bit of disruption in the harmony, uh, and where, where there's a sound or that dissonance, where you begin to reveal that reality is plastic, that reality is flexible, and those moments where people call miracles, or people call, people use those terms, where we can experience that if we listen for it, yeah. You know, if, we, if we're looking, I mean, I think in any uh, musical piece that if we understand the, what is the um, harmony and what is the, uh, in the the structure of it, rather, and what what is referred to as a miracle, uh, and there might be some low level, then you can separate out the frequencies, I would say, you know, and, and, and tune in to that um, aspect of the song that People refer, it seems kind of abstract when we just use it out of context. I think like the idea of medical. It's interesting. Yeah. There's a, a medicine song I know that says, quote, music is a bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's really, yeah. think about it. Um, why are we here? Uh, singing dance. Okay. Yeah. And that ability to, I mean, we think about ourselves in terms of, on the first level, we think of ourselves in the very conventional level as a, as a name, a label, as a name, uh, a place and time. Then, uh, you know, even uh, the layers of who, who am I being, one layer of who am I is being on the body, that I'm this, this physical being that the limits of me is this, uh, the, the, um, the, end, the edges of me is the end of my hand, the end of my foot. Um, and I, it seems to me that with the music, you're able to dance, you're able to, uh, at least in theory, or in my understanding, is that you're able to then understand how to work that instrument, how to be able to get in touch with that instrument, to listening, to dance, do these things that we're actually able to, um, you know, like do strumming guitar, you know, like, yeah, that's, yeah. And, uh, or, any, or any discipline like yoga or... or and if you extend it that metaphor, mm. then it's all of it. Mm. Filing the papers, you know, putting ink on papers, everything else that is. Yeah. Um, preparing the food. It's all a dance. Yeah. Uh, we just made it into, into, into this horrific task mm. that we seem to want to punish ourselves for. Mm. What if Thoreau says that uh, I see my neighbor doing penance in so many ways? My conqueror neighbor. Um, and, and, Notice how it works. The way the matrix works is by creating a suspense that is always resolved in the future. Mm -hmm. Who will win the election? Will there be a nuclear war? Mm -hmm. uh, what will happen to the dollar? Uh, 
this is all complete fabrication. The, the answer is nobody knows. But we, it keeps you um, popped up for the next uh, drama. This is what, uh, I think it was Devoe, the first French theorist, uh, who called it um, the uh, late capitalism, the culture of um, uh, spectacle. Mm. You know, you're in, you know, uh, who's going to win the game? Who's going to win the election? Mm. Uh, and the problem with that is, you're never here. Mm. You're always wondering about what's going to happen. You've never been here. You're living in this complete, like, hamster in a cage, yeah. tomorrow business. Mm. And um, we, most people, like, if you push them, they know this, but there's so little social support become conscious. Rather, there's a huge conspiracy, society, like a conspiracy to keep you unaware. Mm. The next thing, you know, the next trend, the next, um, and so it takes a lot of, it takes a certain gumption mm. to stand up in the back of the bus or to sit under the tree in your, or to do your music, mm. you know, not the music, you know, it takes yeah. some kind of so I would, I would say again to the, to the question of what should we do in this world, the action taken and versus the, because, uh, you know, in, in these instances where we perceive, uh, you know, this, this technology to be able to, uh, this approach or the scientific method or this ancient method of viewing the world in this way can sometimes lead people to still take actions that are harmful and hurtful. Which yeah. we about I know it's like no the the idea the idea of um, perceiving the world as um, simply uh, that my the emptiness idea in my understanding is that there is no external world as objective and inherent reality and that it all is the mind creates it so if we were to shift into that is there's removing the judgments that it's neither good nor bad that uh, history is all a bunk and that. This is the positioning of the I don't know, that this, from this position of I don't know, uh, it's easy to think that, well, it doesn't matter if I kill someone or like, right. you know? Now, I yeah. would, I would um, challenge the notion yeah. that everything is mind-created. Okay. Uh, that idealist, idealist notion. Ah. Grass is real, trees are real, clouds are real. Ah. Um, the question is, Am I real in my relationship to them? And that, to me, is the crux of the matter. It's uh, Martin Buber put it: uh, all living, all real living is meeting. And when you're in abstraction, you're not meeting anyone. You're not tasting the food. You're not, you know, connecting to the earth. But rather, if if we're living in connection with all of life then the question of what is it becomes kind of less significant because you're really in that communion. And who knows, we may or some may find out at one point that like the trees, the flowers, the, the rivers, they're already there. It's been waiting for the humans to get with the program. Yeah. We think we're, I don't know what, you know, something else. Mm. And. Um, so it's, it's, it's the idea of, I would say, uh, relationship with everything and everyone, 
as opposed to abstraction and um, mind created. Um, yeah. Or, or, or that language. Yeah. Or it's not that the world is not real, it's that we've created a fantasy worlds because we're not living in the world. Oh, I see, I see. So, in other words, uh, it's more like the world we're seeing is not what we think it is. Or, or is well, the world that we're seeing, the problem is we're not seeing the world as it is. Uh, we're seeing our conditioning and our ideas mm. about the world. Mm. If, if one ever saw the world, one would be absolutely shocked. Yeah, it, it would be, it would be, they call it in Sanskrit, abut, complete wonder. Mm. Uh, oh my God, look at, you know, the sunrise, oh my, you know, you, mm. uh, you, so it, it's a question of being able to see things in their most fundamental relationality. Yeah. And I think that uh, the way the world manifests to most, to us, to me, to other people, the people, human beings, is through the, um, the way we see, the way we hear, all these five senses, and that without, to be able to see it without that hardware would not, you know, it would defy its own terms, That's right? Really yeah, question. yeah, yeah. I would say without the software. Software, okay, yeah. And this yeah. is, you know, you, one can make the argument that the, the, the fundamental crux of the conflict of Western civilization, maybe the world civilization right now, is we have identified with the software. Ah, ah, ah. We are this program. Ah. But what if we're not, you know, what if it's not, what if it was 2018, you know, what if it's, that's just a program? Mm. Um, I, there, there are cultures here that have no word for time. Mm. Uh, so that's that's the issue. It's, it's, is it possible? And you know, and people ask. It's a big question in you know, metaphysical philosophy. Can can you perceive reality without cognition, without mental, you know, rational hallucination? Mm. You know, people come down on every level. But I would say. Um, instead of asking the question, you got to find out for yourself. Yeah, because it seems that in the narratives that we've written in human history about this process, is it's always a repeating recurrence of um, kind of going away and then coming back. But that uh, you know, it, to create a narrative where we're able to be plugged in to where we are now. Um, I don't know, we just hear so much stuff. It seems like we're, we have to have the strength to be able to handle the perception. Or what is the strength coming to be able to... Or, I don't know if it's strength, integrity, but also uh, a cultural matrix mm. that supports imagination. Yeah. You know, a Muhammad, uh, there was this 16-year-old boy on the caravan, and most people saw him as just a very attractive young man. Muhammad saw him as the archangel Gabriel. Mm. Uh, now, he was crazy. Yeah. William Blake said, when I looked at the sun, 
I see chariots and I hear holy hosannas, mm. and you see a yellow disc in the sky. Mm. Um, and, uh, who's, who's crazy, so to speak? Mm. And the way I conceptualize that in my work is moving from the third to the fourth chakra. That the third chakra is the belief system, which is based on power. You know, for Coles, when you're clear about that, you look at any belief system, it's, it's, it's an attempt to hold on to power, even if it's a power, I don't know what's going on here, where you break through that web into love, and suddenly the other is not a threat, but is a synergistic connection. George Bach and Pablo Picasso going into each other's studios and not being threatened by the other person's work, but being inspired. Mm. Um, it's like breaking through the need to say, I know it. Uh, why would we don't we don't nothing? Yeah. We don't nothing. You know. What we what we're holding on to like titles and Yeah. Yeah. And the um, I think there's a the response or the kind of impulse in many people and that with knowing nothing is that that's that seems or can be perceived as a place of weakness, but actually I understand or experience that as a place of potential. Uh, yeah. I forgot the gentleman's name, the German yeah. author of Zen and the Art of Archery. Uh-huh. But he's working with his master for months and months how to shoot an arrow. Yeah. And he knows this, and, and he, uh, he has to forget everything. And when he finally forgets everything, there's that perfect release. Mm-hmm. And it hits the target effortlessly. So it's, it appears weak, but it's a perfect, it's not. Mm-hmm because it's connected with the whole. So how can that be weak? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but this whole patriarchal culture of conquest mm. is suspect, to say the least. Yeah. So in that analogy that I seen repeated about the karate kid, the wax on, wax off right. analogy, that um, his training or in his training begins when you know he perceives the you know in, in the movie or in these repeated motifs where the character comes in and asks for training. They say, you know, wash the car or something or wax the floors, and they see that as below, beneath what they what the lofty ideas of what training should be, and how that what you're illuminating here, what you're saying here is that what I understand you to be saying here is that um, in the discipline of committing those actions, conjoining that president, committing the action, and also linking it to, mentally linking it to perhaps, what your objective is, being able to see how that action can reveal um, your ultimate objective, is that the? I don't think you can link it. Oh. I think it links itself to something. When you do it with really integrity. Mm-hmm. If you really do it, sweeping the floor, relaxing the car, if you really do it, um, then the Buddha nature comes through, and everything becomes art. Mm-hmm. And how, how beautiful is that? Especially because you don't have to judge it, everyone's doing their art. Mm-hmm. That, like, that to me, that's heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I was, I listened to a video of a bishop who was questioning the ideas of, uh, you know, uh, the bishop on the video is basically questioning what we perceive as the ideas of Christianity that, uh, you know, that, that there is heaven and hell, that 
you know, he was questioning that, he was questioning, so what some people perceive, let's say, as, uh, as that, and the video was kind of presented in a way like, oh, you know, this is, uh, you know, um, I don't know, just have, it's a, the idea, the idea what I'm trying to get at is that we all go through the journey where we have a questioning process and we understand how these words have meaning connected to our own process, you know? So, that kind of communicated what I meant to say. <laughs> you know, my teacher, uh, yeah. she was a young girl, one night, she sat up in her bed and she started yelling at Jesus. Yeah. She said, look, I, you know, you may have done this, that, and this, the other thing 2,000 years ago, but what can you do for me now? I dare you. And she says, uh, Jesus took her dare. Yeah. Uh, became a real presence in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, all these stories, to me, represent realities of consciousness that can be lived in some of the really lives through the Krishna story or the Jesus story. They really get it. They become born again. Yeah. And they're, they're, but they can't that this is what's so frustrating to the mind. There's no rule. You can't do the ten steps to becoming enlightened. Yeah. This is all like it's like the the um, how do you say it? It's like the writing, the, the ingredients on the outside of the bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of really tasting what's in the bottle, yeah, we yeah. keep reading the ingredients. Exactly, exactly. I see what you're saying, yeah. And I think, would you say then um, that uh, the objective, I mean, c- could you become enlightened by reading uh, a cookbook? Of course. Yeah. But, first of all, I go again and became enlightened watching what the yeah. was called. But here's an interesting yeah. You can never be the uh, because there's no you. When you feel enlightened, there's no you. Yeah. So people in their mind, when will I become enlightened? Never. Yeah. You know, yeah. Enlightenment is. Uh, um, and yes, cookbook will do it. Yeah. Uh, a rose petal will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, if you're present with it, will do it. Uh, such a. Uh, Amazing uh, light to shine, I think, and be able to hopefully to uh, penetrate that that you know that, that narrative that we have. That uh, you have to find the right book. You have to find the right, the one that will the the book that will. Like sometimes I go to the bookstore or library. I'm, I, anything that will connect with me. That I, in my perception of what's going to be the game changer, what's going to be the you know, you go into it thinking, oh, just by reading the, this title or the uh, or the, the narratives or the reviews I've read of it, I think that this book is going to be the one. But, you know, really speaking, you just go and pick up any book and yeah, be sure. open to the possibility. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So that's a good note to uh, close this interview on. Um, if you have any last thoughts or final? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, you know, it, it, a really liberated reading to pick up any book. Yeah. Um, I think for most of us, it's having the trust that the book that's been given to me is the book I need to really work with. Yeah. You know, I, and the book of my own life, the book of circumstances, the book of my parents, the book of my culture. Like, can I, 
can I work through that so deeply and so fully that, you know, Bertrand Russell said, I want to be thoroughly used up by a guy. Uh -huh. um, we've really worked it, and, and you've, gotten, you've gotten the fruit. And that can be, but it's, the trust is so basic. Like, to, to trust what you've been given. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that is, is something that is said often that in my last conversation with uh, uh, about language, we talked about how familiar words can become unfamiliar. Right. So familiar words can suddenly have the the sense of like you're, you're like the sensation that when I'm driving to places uh, I go to every day, uh, suddenly they become unfamiliar. Suddenly I'm like, where am I? What am I doing here? And uh, sometimes uh, there are places you've never been to. There's a familiarity. There's a uh, there's a sense of uh, that I've been here all along. You know? Let's end with yeah. with Zhuangzi's quote about words. Yeah, Zhuangzi says, um, "The fish trap exists because of the fish. When you have the fish, you can forget the trap. The rabbit trap exists because of the rabbit. When you get the rabbit, you can forget the trap." Says words exist because of meaning. When you've got the meaning, you can forget the words. But then he says, Where is somebody who has gone beyond words? So I can have a word. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Such a good way. Where is someone who's gone beyond words so I can have a word? <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. This ends the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Taking us out is MC Yogi's Rock On Hanuman. Please enjoy this song. Thank you.
as small as a cat or as tall as a tower. You devour lust, ignorance, envy, or greed. You succeed and never cower in the hour of need. You left to Lanka and reassured seat that don't worry about a thing, cause mama's gonna free you. You burned down Lanka when your tail was on fire, and to serve Lord Rom is your only desire. When Rom's little brother was about to die, without a second thought, you began to fly.